your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Two words, submit and love. Now, here's what I've discovered. We overpack submit and we underpack love. When we talk about this passage, we overpack submit and we underpack love. When in reality, there's more uh, synonymous with submit and love than what we would like to imagine. You see, when he says wives, oh, by the way, let me go ahead and say this. Paul is not saying that every woman has to submit to every man, not in the context of this passage. He does say in Ephesians 5.21 that all believers are to submit to all believers, Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. That encompasses all of us, male to female, female to male. It, it, it is not gender-driven. Uh, this passage does not say that if I'm a man and you're a woman, then you must submit to me. No, it doesn't say that at all. What it says is wives submit to your own husbands. Your own. Let me go ahead and say this one. Your own means that husbands, you belong to your wife. Your own. Husbands, you belong to your wife. We know this to be true. Oh, when Jesus described marriage, he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is oneness. This isn't a, a oneness divorced by gender. This is oneness. This is sameness. This is equality. Certainly there are differences in roles and differences in responsibilities, but when it comes down to it, love has to be the rule. And you might say, well, what does submit have to do with love? Well, biblical love by definition demands submission. Now listen, biblical love by definition, demands submission. Submission simply means, especially in this context, submission means that I relinquish my rights and put the rights of another above mine. That's submission. I, I relinquish my rights and I put the rights of another above mine. In this context, the husband. Now, don't bristle at this because this is what Jesus has taught us, as is fitting in the Lord. Jesus himself lived his life this way. In every relationship that he had, he certainly had authority over all. He had authority over heaven and earth, over every created thing that he himself created. He had authority over all things, but he submitted himself. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Now, in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul it, it describes in that section how that we are to submit ourselves to, to each other. He says, he, he says, because you're a new creation in Christ, then set the needs of others above your own. He goes on, he says, even more specifically, consider others more important than yourself. That's submission. And then he gives us the why. Why should we live with a submission in our heart toward other people? He says 
Philippians 2, 5. He says, let this mind, this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took the form of a servant and came in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, submission, he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, every tongue in heaven and on earth and below the earth, that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you see how Jesus lived his life? He lived in this posture of humility and submission. So when when, when, when we hear this phrase, wives, submit to your husbands, understand that that phrase isn't calling our wives to do something that Jesus didn't live out in his life. He submitted himself. He didn't hold on to his rights, but rather he submitted himself. Now, here's what submission does not mean. Submission does not mean, wives, that you have become the doormat upon the which the dust of your husband should fall. Submission is something that the husband doesn't demand. Submission is something that you give. Wives, submit to your husbands in the Lord, which is fitting in the Lord. And, and, and Jesus modeled that for us. But, but that's another aspect of love. Love, an ingredient of love is submission. Now, Paul, in verse 19, goes to the husband. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter or resentful toward them. Love your wives. Now, what does that mean? Well, make no mistake, love includes submission. Husband to wife. Now, uh, oh, 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 really? Some of you husbands, you know, what? Really? Oh, really? Submission surrender, and sacrifice. I, I believe that Paul is ramping it up a little bit here when he says love rather than just submit. He says you must give yourself, in Ephesians 5, he says, husbands, you're supposed to love your wives the way Christ loved, his, loved the church and gave his life for her. Husbands, you and I are supposed to lead the way in love as well as submission. What is biblical love? It is relinquishing my right in order to bless another. It is giving myself sacrificially to bless another. It is what is mine is yours. And I give it to bless you, to restore your life. Now, when it comes to our relationship as husband and wife, what makes the relationship soar is when love is the rule. Love described by submission and love described by sacrifice. Husbands, you are to love your wives. Wives, you are to submit as an act and expression of love for your husbands. Now, that's what makes relationships. And by the way, it makes sense. You think about this. I'm a husband and my 
aim every morning that I wake up is how can I bless my wife? How can I help Edie soar? How can I look to her needs and relinquish hold of my needs in order to bless her needs? And she wakes up with that same mentality. How can I help Eric flourish? How can I submit my needs to his needs? How can I help him grow and and soar? When you have a marriage built upon that kind of reciprocity of love and submission, you're going to have a marriage that sinks its roots deep down into the soil of God's love, and it will flourish. But here's what causes a marriage to wilt, and any relationship to wilt. What causes a marriage or any relationship to wilt is when I determine that I'm going to control, I'm going to dominate, I'm going to own, I'm going to possess, and I'm going to crush any opposition to that, to that pursuit. When I look at my wife and I say, you, you, I'm going to own you, I'm going to dominate you, I'm going to control you, I'm going to make you do what I want you to do. If I go through my marriage trying to control in that way, I'm killing the relationship. And it's on me. You know, I say, well, what about my needs? Oh, look, that, that's, not even, that's not even a concern. Why? Because God's going to care for your needs. And by the way, if you're the kind of husband that loves his wife the way the Bible teaches, and you're the kind of wife that loves your husband the way the Bible teaches, make no mistake, you're going to find your soul satisfied completely and fully. But we must make love the rule in our marriage. Well, uh, as we look at this passage, I know that, that this isn't the only, uh, the only section that we need to deal with. I, we need to deal with two more sections. But, but I, I did think that it's important for us to spend the majority of our time on this. When it comes to your marriage, are you like the robber, what's yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Or are you like the Levite and priest, what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Or are you like the Samaritan, what's mine is yours and I'm going to give it. What the Bible tells us is that to put on this new life, to wear the clothes of a Christ follower, especially in our home, means that we take the posture of the Samaritan. What's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. So we must make love the rule in our home. Secondly, we must set the atmosphere in our home for faith to grow. This is the, 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 the teaching on parents and children. Look at verses 20 and 21. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Uh, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged or lest they lose heart or lose passion. Now, children in the room, obey your parents. Just want to keep it simple. Children in the room, obey your parents. That makes God smile. Just as 
the joy of Jesus flowed through his obedience to his heavenly Father. That's John 15, 9 through 11. So your joy will flow through your obedience to your parents. Children, obey your parents. This pleases God. But parents, I'm going to spend the majority of our time, uh, remainder of our time, talking to us. As parents, it's our job to make sure our children flourish spiritually. Do you realize that faith of your children grows in the soil of your love for them? The faith of your children in Christ Jesus grows in the soil of your love for them. If they see you being a jerk, being a controlling, manipulative, passive-aggressive, or just plain-aggressive parent, how are they going to view God? If they see you always with hammer in hand, ready to pounce on them at their every mistake, How do they view God? You do realize that our children get their perspective of who God is based upon how you, the parent, treats them. And there are many young men and young women who have been trying to dismantle what they've been taught about God by their parents and rejuvenate a biblical vision of who God is. In fact, I would contend that this passage shows us both the complaint and the remedy for what is happening in our culture today. We live in a day and time, uh, so goes the home, so goes the church, so goes the church, so goes the world. But it begins parent to child. Statistics tell us that so many of our young people who are raised in the church, by the time they hit uh, their late teen years or uh, young adulthood, they leave the church never to come back. And we blame it on computer games. Or we blame it on television shows. Or we blame it on this or that in the culture. Friends, the reason our children are leaving the church primarily is not because of the culture around us. It's because of me with my children. It's your fault. It's my fault. It's our fault. It's how we're representing God. That's why Paul says, hey, listen, parents, do not provoke your children and cause them to lose heart. Well, how do you provoke your children? What are some good ways to provoke your children and cause them to lose heart? You provoke your children when you ignore them or neglect them. Let them feel like they're unimportant to you. Don't spend time with them. Treat them like a nuisance. That will provoke them. We provoke our children when we overindulge them. When we uh, meet their every whim with a, 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 a steady response, when we provide for every wish that they ever had, uh, why does that provoke them? Well, it leads them to a sense of entitlement. It gives them a sense of, uh, of restlessness, and it leads them to a dissatisfaction even in the things that they have. 
we provoke our children and cause them to lose heart, specifically in this passage, when we nag them or try to control them or we call them names or we beat them down. When we use our words or our facial expressions to pummel them. No one likes to be called names. Why in the world would you think your children think it's okay for you to call them a name? No. We provoke our children. We cause them to lose heart. And the environment in which they see Jesus is tainted with our own parents, our own behavior. Ephesians 5 tells us that we have the responsibility to help our children grow up in the wisdom and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And some of us have taken that simply to mean, oh, we're just supposed to take them to Sunday school and let them learn some Bible verses. No, no. You and I are supposed to be the living, breathing Bible verse that they see each day. And we wonder why it is our children are leaving the church in droves. It's because we're not living out our faith in front of them. Today's the day for that to change. We set the atmosphere for faith to grow in our home. And finally, we have uh, this last section that is the largest section of our text but the one i'll spend the least amount on verse 22 bond servants let me talk about bond servants the term there is doulos it's someone who uh, because probably because of debt that they owed a home uh, were brought into servitude to the home Uh, in other words a person owed a guy a bunch of money couldn't repay it probably not through their own fault just they couldn't pay it back and so they had to go serve in that house and they served in that house and their children became servants in that house and and it's that kind of of uh, system uh, so bond service now here's a couple of things first of all some have said and use this verse to justify slavery what poppycock is that There's nowhere in this passage where Paul says this is a good idea. In fact, earlier in chapter 3, he says there is neither slave nor free, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. It's that hallmark confession that led to the end of slavery itself as we know it. And Paul does not condone slavery, neither does the Bible. Here, what Paul is doing, he's trying to give the people who are followers of Jesus a pathway to navigate this system in which they find themselves. As we look at this, we try to figure out, well, what is the system that we need to compare it to? We don't have a one-to-one comparison uh, in our culture today to this situation, but there is similarity between what we find with bond servants, the doulos, and what we have as we work for someone else and as someone is the boss of us. Employer, employee, supervisor, supervisee. And so I'm going to try to paint this picture through uh, that, that comparison. This is what it looks like when I work for someone else or when someone works for me. Does it make sense? So what is that uh, that, uh, that it, what does it look like? We set the atmosphere. Uh, we uh, 
we go to work and what do we do? We fear God. As workers in an office, as people who work for us in an office or at a factory, we fear God. Now listen, Paul writes, verse 22, bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you, here it is, serve the Lord. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Then verse 1 of chapter 4, Masters, give your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. All right, so what does this look like in our day-to-day life? Well, first of all, we must uh, give ourselves in work with honesty and integrity, not just trying to please our bosses, but ultimately to please our one true King, Jesus Christ. When you go to work, you're not working for the man. When you go to work, you're not trying merely to put in an honest day's labor for an honest day's wage. When you go to work, you're living a symphony of honor and pleasure to the living God, the one who has created you and given you new life through faith in Christ. We're not living to please people. We're living for the pleasure of God. And it changes how we do work, or it should. So when we work, we work heartily as to the Lord. Our focus is not primarily our bosses. Our focus is the living God who has rescued us and given us life. What if I'm an employer and I have employees, or I'm a supervisor and I have supervisees? What's my perspective? I do what's right and what is fair for those I supervise. That's verse 1. I do what is right and what is fair. And here is the warning for me. I'm not going to get away scot-free. I can't do anything I want to do. Why? Because I have a master in heaven who is going to hold me accountable. In fact, that's true for all of us. Jesus Christ will judge the works we've done in the body, whether good or bad. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. So we live today at work in such a way that honors the one to whom we are accountable. We honor God not by what is yours is mine and I'm going to take it. We honor God not by what's mine is mine, and I'm going to keep it. We honor God by what's mine is yours, and I'm going to give it. So what do we do with this passage? You get past all the different code words and how they make us bristle or uh, how they rub up against us and cause us uh, a lack of comfort. How do we deal with this passage? Well, if I could just bring it down to a couple of things. First of all, some of us need to go 
uh, to our bosses or to our wives or to our husbands or to our children or to our parents. And we need to ask forgiveness because we've related to our families in such a way that we have said what is yours is mine and I'm going to take it. Or we've said what's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it and it doesn't matter what you want. We need to go to our husbands and our wives and our children and our parents and our co-workers. We need to ask their forgiveness because we fail to honor God by living a lifestyle of giving. And the second thing I would say is uh, we need to look at ourselves in the relationship, not the other. It's the easiest thing in the world for me to pinpoint. Well, not easy for me because my wife is so awesome. But it could be the easiest thing in the world for me to pinpoint the faults in my spouse and say, well, you're not doing this and you're not doing that and you're not doing the other thing. But friends, this message is preeminently not about your spouse. It's about you. It's preeminently about me. What am I doing? How am I relating to my children? How am I relating to my parents? How am I relating to my wife? How am I relating to those who work with me and for me? How am I relating to those for whom I work? If there is in us anything less than what's mine is yours and I'm going to use it to bless your life, then we need to adjust. Jesus said, the greatest commandment of all is this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second like unto it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Who then is my neighbor? Who is your neighbor? How will you love them? Will you be like the robber? What's yours is mine, I'm going to take it. Will you be like the Levite and the priest? What's mine is mine and I'm going to keep it. Or will you be like the Samaritan? What's mine is yours and I'm going to give it. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, in these moments as we have gathered in your name, I know that some of the hard truths that you share through your word cut to the very core of who we are but that's a good thing it's a good thing that you speak so powerfully to us because we belong to you through a work of your sovereign grace you brought us into your family through faith in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for for our sin and was raised to new life you brought us into your family and now we're not strangers we're not distanced from the promises of your love, but now we are your sons and daughters. And so now, as sons and daughters, we come and we bow before you and we ask, O oh God, for you to comfort our hearts as we seek to honor you. We pray for you to correct us when we are failing to honor you in our relationships. We pray that you would give us the courage we need to correct those things in our lives. 
that fail to show the kind of love that you have called us to show to our husbands and our wives, to our children, to our parents, to our workers, to our bosses. Now I pray, O oh God, that you would comfort us, encourage us, and inspire us, that you would show us intimately and personally who we are because we belong to you and the expectation you have on us as your children, as your sons and daughters. Speak, we've listened. Correct, we will adjust. Encourage, and we will take heart. Speak your words of love over us, your people, that we might glorify you, our Heavenly Father. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.